Ave, and welcome to Emperors of Rome, a podcast series in which we look at the rulers of the ancient Roman Empire. I'm your host, Matt Smith, and with me as always is Dr. Rhiannon Evans, a lecturer in ancient Mediterranean studies at La Trobe University. This is episode I. For those unfamiliar with Roman numerals, that just means episode one. But anyway, this is episode I, the early years of Caesar. Rhiannon starts us off by telling us when Julius Caesar was born. Caesar was born in 100 BCE by coincidence. Of course, they didn't use that numbering system that came along much, much later. Some people think he was born in 102, actually. And this sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but the reason for that is is that he came to some of the Roman political roles, the magistracies, a couple of years earlier than you were technically meant to. And so they think he was actually playing by the rules and he was born in 102, not 100, but there's no ancient evidence for that. So he was falsifying his driver's license so that he could join a bit earlier. If he was actually born in 100, then Mm. that is true. But then Caesar was living in a time when people started breaking the rules a lot. So I think it's more likely that that was the case. Special dispensation was given to him. Uh, He was born in Rome, which is interesting because we think of many of the ancients that we talk about, especially writers and as well as being a, a warrior and a politician, he was a writer, as being Roman. And they were, they were culturally Roman. But in fact, pretty much all of the writers we have weren't born in Rome. Caesar was one of the few. But our knowledge about his early life is a little bit cloudy because we have two biographies of Caesar, which is great. We have one by a Greek writer, Plutarch, and one by a Latin writer, Suetonius. But by a terrible coincidence, the beginning of both of them is missing. So we don't have the biography of his early life very firmly in place. And of course, we have accounts of him from historians and letters, but they tend to talk about him when he's at the height of his power. So they don't really talk about his early life. But we imagine he had the the typical education of an elite Roman. He, he was certainly well-versed in Latin and Greek literature. Um, he was known to be very uh, skilled at speaking, and he could make use of all of that literature. So that was the typical education of a Roman boy. What sort of household was he born into then? One of privilege, but what do we know about his family? He's in a very, very elite Roman family. Okay, the, the Julii were, uh, they were patricians, so they came from very ancient elite stock, And they later on traced their ancestry back to the goddess Venus through a tortuous line via Venus's son, the Trojan Aeneas, who was said to be the founder of the Roman race after he left Troy, through his son, who had an alternative name, Eulus. And they claimed that Eulus had turned into Julius or Julius. This is etymologically stupid, um, but it was very convenient for them. And that was the line that they traced. So an extremely aristocratic family, but they'd kind of hit hard times. He wasn't fabulously wealthy. He was still very wealthy by the standard of many Romans, but he, what, he didn't have the kind of resources that you needed to, to make it in the Republic, really. And that was a disadvantage. Also, his family hadn't performed that well in politics recently. So he didn't have, you know, he didn't have a father who'd been consul or a grandfather who'd been consul, which made it much easier to get into Roman politics. So he started from a relatively disadvantaged point. I know that Caesar was the high priest of Jupiter for a while there. 
and that he also, due to his position, became a bit of a, a pawn in the political landscape. Well, he was made the, it was called the Flamen Dialis at quite a young age, which in a way was a huge honour. The High Priest of Jupiter. Yes. Yeah. But it was also very restrictive. It's possible that he was made Flamen Dialis to kind of keep him under wraps because this priest was not meant to leave the boundaries of Rome because if he's away, Rome is considered in danger. And he's sort of bound by all this ritual. So it's actually something that might have restrained his political career because a Roman man who's ambitious would expect to hold magistracies and also priesthoods. But that one, in a way, although it's an honor, it was a bit of a double-edged sword. It means that you can't pursue a military career. How can you pursue a military career if you can't leave Rome? Mm. So it's possible they saw a bit of danger in Caesar and gave him that role because of that. And he got married about that time as well. He did. We would consider that very young. And Roman men didn't necessarily get married very, very young. Uh, Roman women tended to. But he was married around that time. Because he held this priesthood, he had to get married in a very, very formal way, uh, much more ceremonious than Roman weddings had to to be. Uh, He married a woman called Cornelia. And in a way, that got him into a bit of trouble because at this particular point, I'll explain a bit of background, uh, there was a civil war in Rome. It had sort of been brewing for a while. And it was between Caesar's uncle, Marius, and another warlord, Sulla. So Caesar is technically on Marius's side because he's related to Marius. At least his aunt is married to Marius, so he's related by marriage. And Cornelia is the daughter of one of Marius's main allies, a man called Cinna. And so that really puts him in Marius's camp. And it's the losing side. Marius loses the civil war. Sulla very definitely wins. He demands that Caesar divorce Cornelia when Caesar was just 19 years old. And Sulla is amazingly powerful at this time. He's technically dictator of Rome, which is a role that gives you absolute power. It's a role you can take on in a time of crisis. And Caesar just said, no, I'm not going to divorce her. I'm not going to do what you tell me to. He also left Rome at that point and went out east. He became a military figure at that point. He didn't stick around for the consequences of denying what Sulla had asked him. But it shows that very early on, Caesar wasn't willing to be pushed around. And he's willing to stand up to someone who has supreme authority. Did Caesar stick with her out of, out of loyalty? or We don't know. I mean, it was, it's loyalty to a lost side. Right? It's, it's loyalty to something that's definitely not going to come back. Uh, well, there are a few Marians, they're called Marians, the followers of Marius hanging on. But it must have been pretty clear to him that, that Sulla was the victor and, and that was it. Some people think it's out of affection. We don't know. I think it's just that he does not want to be told what to do. I like to think of it like that. Of course, it's in light of what happened afterwards, where Caesar subsequently took risks. He he refused to be dictated to. But it's sort of in line with that. And it, it's a good indicator very early on that he's not going to be intimidated. Mm. So at this point, he's he's entered the military. He has. And he's gone off east to fight in Rome's eastern provinces. And he does very, very well there. Uh, He wins an award called the Civic Crown, the Corona Kiwica, which you get for saving the life of another Roman citizen. So this shows pretty early on bravery in warfare. 
And I guess if we think of Caesar as a soldier, we think of him as the general who's in command, strategizing, sending soldiers into war. But from an early period, he was actually there on the battlefield. He's not just kind of one of the elites who stands back. He's had very direct contact with conflict, with warfare. Do we know a lot about this point or does this kind of skip over and go to he became a governor later on? Because these seem to be very formative years, if anything. We know bits and pieces and it's mostly anecdotes from the biographies because he's actually not that exceptional at this point. So he doesn't tend to crop up so much in histories of this period. And the information is from biographies, which tend to like the kind of standout anecdotes. We know that he went actually to complete his education at Rhodes in the 70s BCE. The whole ship was captured by pirates and they took him hostage. And we sort of think of pirates as a, I don't know, an 18th century phenomenon or something up to the present, I guess. But they were everywhere in the Mediterranean. And usually they, they would take boats that had something valuable on it or they would take boats that have a valuable person on it. And then they would ransom them, which they tried to do with Caesar. Now, this is a story that's probably been greatly embellished. It's in both of his biographies. Uh, but it is a really good story because it shows that, again, that Caesar is really gutsy. The pirates say that they're going to ransom Caesar for 20 talents, which is a Greek currency and is a lot of money, especially seen as Caesar doesn't come from an extremely wealthy family. Um, and he's, he's actually getting into debt at this point and will get much deeper into debt. And Caesar is supposed to have said, you can't ransom me for 20 talents. I'm worth much more than that. You've got to charge <laughs> at least 50. <laughs> Uh, which, of course, is a stupid thing to say because he doesn't come from a rich family. But his friends were sent off to try and raise the money, uh, and they went off to, to Asia Minor. Somehow they got the money. They ransomed Caesar. The story is that while he was with the pirates, this gives us an indication that he's sort of a man of the people, I suppose, that he joked with them, he chatted with them, uh, he got quite friendly with them. But he also said in a jokey way, after I'm set free, I'm going to make sure that you're captured and crucified. Right. Which is a great joke, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and that, they obviously didn't take that seriously. So the 50 talents were raised. He was ransomed. He got away. He, he went back to the Roman province and, and told the governor there that uh, he'd been captured by these pirates and he wanted the governor to go out and get them. And uh, the governor wasn't particularly bothered and didn't. So Caesar raised uh, some ships and a kind of little mini private navy of his own and went out and caught them and took them back and crucified them. Wow. So he did exactly what he said he'd do. And again, this anecdote, who knows how much truth there is in it, except he probably was ransomed. But it gives us this idea, and the biographers are trying to confirm this idea, that he's not a man to be crossed. He can talk with people from any level of society, and he can be jokey with them like he was with the pirates. But if you go against Caesar, you are going to suffer. Again, it makes him sort of very decisive. He, he's a man of his word, I suppose. There's also the story of his clemency, his mercy, in that they were crucified, but they were also stabbed on the cross, so they didn't suffer there. It's a very mixed message story. You will be punished, but Caesar's also a man of mercy. It's a very self-serving story as well, kind of don't cross Caesar. 
I can imagine there being an element of truth, but also an element of fiction to this as it would serve him best. It's quite possible that he fed this story himself. I think as with a lot of the stories about Caesar's early life, they tend to be embellished in light of what happened later. Later on, he becomes a man of great authority and power. So we like to see the flashes of that in his early life. And I think that that has actually helped that story along. I still love it, though. It's a great story. That's Dr. Rhiannon Evans, lecturer in Ancient Mediterranean Studies at La Trobe University. And you've been listening to the podcast series, Emperors of Rome. If you like this podcast, you can find other episodes and subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Leave us a review there and tell your friends about it. You can follow both Rhiannon and myself on Twitter. She's at Dr. Rhiannon Evans and I'm at Nightlight Guy. In the next episode, we'll look at the political career of Julius Caesar. Until then, I'm Matt Smith. You've been fantastic and thanks for listening. Listening.